1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland, in for the Judge Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the race to build America's infrastructure, the historic deal out of Washington really helping to lift the markets. And joining me for the hour today are... Brenda Vingello, CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors. Pete Najarian, Jim Liebenthal, and Kevin O'Leary, chairman of O'Shares ETFs. Kevin's having some tech problems. We're going to get to him in a minute. But first, let's check the major averages. Stocks are mostly higher, with the S&P 500 hitting a new record high, and the Dow up more than 200 points following that announcement from Washington. And we're going to talk all about it with the investment committee right now. We're going to kick things off with you, Pete. Let's really talk about this. Um, obviously, today we're seeing stocks like uh, Martin Marietta and Vulcan up slightly higher, but not seeing the big gains you might think. Are all the gains priced in for this infrastructure deal, even though we only have a framework and the final deal hasn't been made just yet?
0: Yeah, I don't know that it's all priced in just yet, but I think the reality is we've had a nice run when you look at the start of the year to where a lot of these names are, whether that's a U.S. Steel or you mentioned a couple of the other names, but they're, they're a Freeport Mac. All these different names within this space that you'd expect would be moving to the upside. I think the reality is they've made this move. Uh, a pretty rapid move earlier in the year. They've had a little bit of a fade of late, but I think we're getting ready to accelerate on the next level. And I think that this is a great example of two steps forward, one step back. And I think that's exactly where we find ourselves right now. I think these companies. A lot of folks were probably sitting there, Frank, trying to figure out, are they ever going to agree to any kind of a deal? Is there any kind of bipartisanship going on right now? And it looks like there is. We've got this deal, and I think we're all pretty excited about the possibilities of what this might be, not just in the deal itself, but also, quite honestly, in a lot of these various stocks, I think, that are are specifically a part of what will be a, a pretty monstrous deal when it's all said and done. You know, we technically have a deal, I guess, but it's more of a framework. Some of those uh, final wrinkles
1: being ironed out and a lot of that human infrastructure taken out of the deal. And I want to turn to you, Brenda. Um, You own Waste Management and Sherwin-Williams, two stocks that were potentially beneficiaries of that human infrastructure. Uh, Waste Management only up fractionally today. And Sherwin-Williams actually down yesterday. Do we need to rethink what these infrastructure stocks really are?
2: I don't think so. You know, I think when we look at many of the companies within this sector, they're almost all beneficiaries of an improving economic backdrop. And especially with something like a Sherwin-Williams, where, you know, there is a very heavy component there on the retail side and on the um, contractor side, both of which should continue to be healthy. And on the waste management front, you know, to the extent that we continue to have more economic growth, there's going to be more waste to deal with. and. Uh, to the extent that there are more um, demand for materials and that those ends up end up in landfills, that just creates more value for those that are in that industry uh, to be able to realize.
1: Jim, turn to you. Similar question. Uh, one of your holdings, Cleveland Cliffs, actually down about two percent today. Surprised at all?
3: Um, no. I mean, first off, let's call Cleveland Cliffs what it is, which is a workhorse thoroughbred hybrid. I mean, this thing is a killer. So if it's down today, uh, let's not forget where it's been uh, and how far it's come. It's going to 30 uh, in the next six to nine months. So let's not worry about Cleveland Cliffs. And the reason not to worry is is not just because of infrastructure, but because of other forces in play, like supply chain onshoring. So think about all those plants like Taiwan Semi's $12 billion fab plant that they're building in Arizona. Uh, That supply chain onshoring is going to continue and that's going to place heavy demand on steel manufacturers transports caterpillar deer all of those things and beyond that we're in the early stages of an economic expansion where profits are growing and people have more money in their pocket and what do they do when they have more profits and more money in their pockets they build things and they use industrials to build it and they use steel and concrete and all the things we're talking about so it isn't just infrastructure this is a perfect time to be investing in this sector industrials that is
1: yeah farmer jim uh actually uh jeffrey's out with a note today saying not only residential construction should be up but also non-residential construction we now uh welcome mr wonderful kevin o'leary to the full i don't know who has a better background You or Pete, both of them look unreal. Pete, we see you're at the beach right now. Uh, Kevin, what's your take on, on these, these infrastructure stocks and the framework that we're seeing right now?
4: A really interesting time here because you're not guaranteed the bill. Everybody knows there's still some risks. There's lots of political shenanigans that have to go on to get this thing done. So you don't see the full premium yet. You can buy uh, Honeywell or any of the infrastructure plays and know that there's probably another 10 to 15 percent left on the upside here if this actually gets passed, because you've always got the risk premium built in. It's not done yet. But I really like the setup for the back end of this year on equities. I mean, all of this stimulus, whether it's this package or one that's even bigger, a Fed that's benign, equities just shining. And I I gotta add this one thing that I've never seen in my investment career. You had this year, this last three months, basically 80 plus percent of the S&P beat their earnings estimates After one-third of them have been upgraded twice. In other words, the analysts are way behind what's going on in terms of earnings and gross margins. You've got a situation here where we're coming out of the pandemic with a new digital America, where a majority of these companies are selling direct-to-consumer at much higher margins. Nike's numbers were evidence of that. They blew them away in in terms of getting more people direct-to-consumer at much higher margins. This is going to manifest itself in Q4 with unbelievable GDP growth, probably, maybe even double digits. So do I like stocks? Yes, I do.
1: All right, Kevin, well,
3: speaking of <laughs> Nike. Hey, Frank, will you, let me, will, you let me, uh, will you let me tee up on that because he said something about <laughs> yeah, analysts being behind the curve? No, I, I mean tee up in a positive way. Just come back to Cleveland Cliffs for a second. All right, that stock, they've pre announced three times in the last three months. It, the analysts can't keep up with it. They themselves can't keep up with it. And that's just one stock. I mean, when I talk about those three forces infrastructure, supply chain onshoring, and economic expansion. That's just an incredible elixir that's going to provide free cash flow for all of the industrials and filter on through to the financials and technology. So this
1: is a great, pl- a great time to be investing in the stock market. You know, the inventory onshoring—that's a that's a, a narrative that we're going to have to get into when we talk about FedEx in a little bit. You would think that would help that stock as well. But before we get to that, let's get to a stock that is having a great performance today, Nike shares. They're surging to a new record high today. The stock's the best performer in the S&P 500 after the company reported a record quarterly revenue and better than expected guidance going all the way out to 2025. Kevin, I know you own Nike. I want to highlight one big part of this. Their digital numbers, 41% better year over year, almost 150% better than 2019 for the same period. What do you make of that when they're also highlighting their supply chain issues?
4: So what's going on with Nike, between the bull and the bears on this name, it's really intriguing because people want to see this thing trade at a 20p and instead it's double that. But they're doing something that really no behemoth has ever done before. As you may know, they've exited Amazon completely and they started at the beginning of the pandemic last January to start to build out their own logistics, direct shipping worldwide to their customers. They achieved in five months during the middle of the pandemic what they thought would take six years to get over 50 percent direct to consumer. Now, when you sell direct to consumer, you have the highest gross margins possible. Your only costs are manufacturing and shipping logistics and customer acquisition many people doubted nike could actually go it on its own globally but that's exactly what they did they took their brand they really spent heavily on digital advertising and and really enhanced the look and feel of their products online but here's why the market is fairly pricing this company what we don't talk about is the analytic information they're getting from their global customer base direct to consumer size style age purchase preferences all that information going back to Nike headquarters so that they can use their capital to design exactly what their customers want, not just by the year, by the quarter, by the month, by the week. And they're doing it in a way that is just never been seen before. This is why you should be worried about the future of a Walmart or a Foot Locker. They don't need retail. They're direct-to-consumer at the highest gross margins they've ever seen. This is the new America digital 2.0 that is not built into the earnings
1: coming into Q4 of this year. You know, Kevin, before I let you go, you said their only cost are uh, some of their, their data acquisition, customer acquisition, and shipping logistics. But those prices uh, for shipping logistics are just going through the roof. FedEx highlighting a, a hard time finding people to work there. So those, those costs are just going to continue to go up. Do you have any concern about that when you invest in Nike with this increasing direct-to-consumer business?
4: Compared to what? They used to get a 50 or 45% gross margin when they sold through Foot Locker or Walmart or two tiers of di- retail distribution. Now, if all they have to deal with is logistics cost and shipping direct and their customer acquisition costs are very healthy, in other words, well below lifetime value of the customer, They've got massive amounts of margins to play with so they can focus on this issue. I'd much rather have that problem than the one of worrying about retail, their functionality, their distribution, their warehousing and all the margins they require. This is an incredible change. It's, it's like a phoenix. I remember when
1: people just hated Nike. Look at it now. It is the golden model of the new age. I don't know if anybody ever hated Nike. Uh, Jim, turn it over to you. What do you make of today's move in Nike after the report? (laughs) Mr. Wonderful, making one valid point (laughs) that worrying about logistics is a lot better than worrying about China. Those China numbers turn out to be better than some people fear.
3: I, I don't know if I can go toe-to-toe with the Phoenix analogy. That's a pretty <laughs> powerful one. So I think I have to concede the point to, uh, to Kevin. Uh, he's long the stock. He knows what he's talking about. I'm not in the stock. I do think it's overpriced, as I said yesterday. But, I, 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 look, when I'm not in the stock, long or short, I've got to admit it, and I've got to just sort of back off my comments a little bit.
1: I'm going to go with what Kevin said. It was, uh, it was powerful. Pete, turn it over to you. Uh, You're kind of playing in the athletic wear space with Lululemon, Um, you know, different than Nike, not necessarily Mm -hmm. as heavy in basketball, Jordan, things like that. More that yoga crowd or Joe Kernan with the pants that he wears to work. What do you make of this report?
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, I think the report absolutely outstanding. I mean, Kevin hit on all the very most important aspects of it, which to me actually comes down to the fact that they are able to get the margins that they're getting because of the fact that they've done this DTC model, and they've done just an amazing job, as Kevin points out. Nike, I thought they were absolutely done as far as growth, potentially, in North America, and wow, did you look at that quarter? It was absolutely spectacular. That also tells me something else, though, Frank. I think that bodes well for the Lululemons of the world and others, maybe Skechers and some of the rest of them, because of the fact that what we are seeing now are companies that have pushed in that direction. They get better margins, and I think that's really the most important part of this whole thing, but the reality is the growth, and I know Kevin must love Lulu because he's a Canadian, so he understands this stock really, really well, but I think the reality is it isn't Nike. It's a different version of the sports-athleisure world, but it is part of this reopen, hybrid society that we're going to be, where people are given the opportunity to be a little bit more casual with their clothing. I think that bodes really well for Nike, but also for Lulu and some of the other names out there, Skechers and others, where they've moved into that category, and that is the growth category to be in.
1: Yeah, you know, one thing I want to highlight, uh, Nike trading at 42 times forward earnings, Lululemon at 55 times forward earnings. Uh, Brenda, turning to you, obviously a blowout report for Nike. Any concerns about the things you're hearing about supply chain or that this may not be sustainable? Obviously, the stimulus check uh, impact is going to decline as we head into the fall.
2: Yeah, I think you know the other thing about Nike in this transition uh, to more direct to consumer is that they have more control over their own inventory rather than having an environment where the, the channel is stopped at certain times and backed up at different retailers. So I think there's a lot of power in that. And I think even though we are coming to an end of some some stimulus going to consumers, the consumer's balance sheet is still in really great shape. And there is still a lot of room left for spending uh, on the consumer side, definitely a a bright point in the economy right now. So I would not be concerned about that. You know, what I would be concerned about is, you know, with Nike and Lululemon and others, is these are high expectation stocks. So they need to keep the momentum going in their own businesses. But as long as that's um, happening, I think they're, the stocks are likely to continue working.
1: All right, we're going to continue with this supply chain theme. The other big earnings mover we're watching today is FedEx. Those shares are lower at this hour, 4% lower after weaker than expected guidance and labor shortage concerns. Kevin, we're going to go back over to you. You own FedEx. Uh yesterday on closing bell, Stephanie Link said that the street was looking for full year guidance of $22. FedEx came pretty close, 2050 to 2150. Was that the only reason that this stock fell? Now, this is a stock
4: that I've owned a long time. I consider it part of the infrastructure of the digital economy, direct consumer play, not only domestically, but globally. Uh, this concern came out of the blue a little bit. We knew there was problems in hiring people. But, you know, in, in my view, it's the hangover of the stimulus package that was too much. We've got a lot of people staying at home till September, and it manifests itself in behemoths like, you know, FedEx not being able to hire them back. And so, you know, sending, ch- sending free money to people has costs, and here you see it man- manifest itself. But I-, I think this is a temporary problem. Uh, they'll probably shine again when we start to get into the sales cycle in the fall and then the holiday season. Uh, you, you know, you, you, it, it's kind of a binary hold. I mean, you, you get volatility in, in FedEx based on things like this that come out of the blue, but I, you, you can't live without it. It, it. The continued digitization means more and more of this service is going to be used. So, if anything, it's a buying opportunity here.
1: So you're saying buy the dip right now because you feel like the stocks can continue to trade higher throughout the rest of the year?
4: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the quarter. I mean, there was really nothing wrong with the numbers. It's not like they, they, they missed it on the downside or some massive change in margins or anything like that. It's just they can't hire anybody because they're competing with the government. Nobody wants to get off the sofa when a check that keeps coming in every month for you. I mean, I'm I'm still unhappy about that, and I'm showing
1: you how it manifests itself. You can blame the government for what's happening to FedEx. So, Brent, I'm going to turn over to you. I've heard of Christmas in July, but I've never heard about concerns about (laughs) Christmas in July. The company highlighting a potential issue hiring workers during the peak, which is expected to be, you know, another blowout quarter for them with people still buying online and kind of adapting that habit. Are you at all worried about the long-term prospects of this stock throughout the end of the year?
2: Yeah, I think, you know... (laughs) It remains to be seen what happens in September when kids are back in school and the additional stimulus checks go away, but that might prompt more people to come back into the workplace. But I think industry-wide, you know, and across services in general, you're having a a problem hiring people. So I think we'll see what happens come September. But I think the the key to hiring people, even if they're hard to find, is to pay them more. So we might see some wage inflation uh, pick up throughout all of this. But I, I think it's a little early to be concerned about that just yet. But it is important. I don't blame the companies for for seeing what's happening now and extrapolating that and what that might mean heading into the holiday season.
1: Yeah. uh, Farmer Jim, I know you're more about transporting people than things. So I'm going to go over to you, Pete. What did you think about this quarter? Um, Do you think that the numbers were strong
0: and this seems kind of odd to see the stock dip like this today? Yeah, I don't know that it seems odd. I think to Kevin's point, uh, it was a labor shortage and, and that is a problem. And that's something that is directly tied in with stimulus. But I think the reality is this is an opportunity, in my opinion. When you look at where the highs were and you look where the stock is now and it's down 5% today, just take a look over at UPS. These are not entirely different companies. They're very, very similar, as we all know. Although if you look really a little bit deeper, we all know UPS is a little more about ground and you look a little more internationally when you're talking about uh, FedEx. But the reality is they're very similar companies. Why is it that everybody seems to be very comfortable today with UPS? I think the reality is this is an overplay, an oversell on the stock based upon that one metric that will change. Stimulus is not here forever, at least we hope not. And I think the reality is, as we get closer and closer and back to reality of of a a normal economy, I think we will see this stock actually make a pretty nice break back up to the upside and be very competitive once again with UPS. So I view this as an opportunity right now more so than anything else just because of the fact of where the highs were, where the stock is now, and this move today.
1: Yeah, guidance makes a big difference for these companies. Uh, UPS had its worst day since October following its investors' day where it gave kind of weak guidance for 2023, something to keep in mind. All right, turning now to CNBC's Shepard Smith with the latest on the ongoing rescue efforts following the condominium tower collapse. He's live in Surfside, Florida with the very latest. Hey there, Shep.
5: Hi, Frank, another of the storms that have been blowing through here this morning is, is just hitting us. And the winds go from almost nothing to 25, 30 miles an hour. And if you take a look from the camera that's over by the pile, you'll be able to see what they're dealing with on site. And and that is heavy machinery has been brought in to try to remove the top layer and the fringes of the pile. Remember, this building collapsed one floor on another like pancakes. So they're going to have to remove each level one by one to try to find victims. And and they're in the middle of that process now. We got some updates from authorities earlier today. Last night, they had said that 99 people were unaccounted for. That number's now gone up to 159, and the total confirmed dead now at four. But authorities are certainly hoping that they'll be able to find others who survived. You can see the bucket brigade here. These people are working constantly. The search and rescue people carrying 80 pounds of gear when they go in. They work in 15 minute shifts. And they're literally picking up and throwing away boulders to see if they can find anyone underneath. There'll be a news conference at the top of the next hour, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, when authorities say they'll update us on their progress. But it is slow, it is tedious, and it's extremely dangerous. They're very concerned about the health and safety of these workers who are on the pile and have been around the clock since this happened. Again, a news conference coming up at the top of the hour. We'll have updates then. We, we spoke earlier today with family members of those who are still unaccounted for at the reuni- uh, reunification center, which is just a mile or so away from here. And it is so hard to to see the pain that they're enduring. It's, it, it's really overwhelmed this whole community, the smoke from the fire underneath is blanketing in the air. It's, it's heavy in your lungs. It makes you, it makes you phlegmy. Everyone's dealing with uh, all of the conditions, uh, plus the sadness of the moment. It's a, it's a very rough experience for everyone here. But we'll update you on what happens in the news conference top of the hour, frame.
1: Thank you, Shep, for the very latest. And don't miss the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time, live on location from Florida. The Halftime Report is back in two minutes. All right. Welcome back to halftime. Credit Suisse upgrading Netflix shares to outperform despite the negative performance of the stock year to date, down about two percent. The bank says it expects subscriber growth to normalize and that its recent consumer survey reinforced Netflix's strong competitive position. It's our call of the day. Brenda, I'm gonna turn to you first. Here's one of the results of the survey. 91% of users said they're satisfied with Netflix, a higher rate than any other streaming service. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Surveys are great, but I vote with my wallet. We're seeing tremendous subscriber growth for Disney Plus and also Amazon Prime subscription increases over the last few years. I know people buy it for the shipping, but they also have TV where you can get a lot of the other networks. Do you really believe that Netflix has this strong of a competitive position?
2: You know, I think there's room for a lot of strong competitors in this marketplace. Um, you know, we've all been spoiled, honestly, with lots of great content over the last year and options um, within the streaming space. Uh, our preference would be Disney over Netflix as a stock, but I still think, you know, there is certainly a place in the market for Netflix uh, and and Disney to coexist with one another. Uh, we really prefer Disney because if you look at how Netflix is valued based on a per subscriber basis, if you pick apart Disney, it appears the direct to consumer business is still being undervalued relative to Netflix. And we don't think that's necessarily the way it should be. So we still think there's a lot of upside to Disney and really like the diversification of the revenue stream there. All the you know incredible content that they've been amassing over many, many years and just how powerful that is, especially with children um, who are willing to watch the same content over and over again. So we our preference would be Disney, but we absolutely think there's a place in the market for Netflix as well.
1: You know, Brenda, I might be a big kid. I'm really enjoying that Loki show, the uh, Falcon show. Um, I'm the Mandalorian, so maybe I'm one of those kids that's watching the same thing over and over again. Uh, Pete, you keep talking to me about Netflix. You've been watching Bridgerton over and over again. I know you keep telling me about it. I haven't seen it quite yet. Um, On a serious note, Netflix has a lot, but they don't have live sports. You see Hulu has live sports. You see the commercials everywhere. Amazon Prime has football. Are you concerned at all? Paramount Plus actually has football as well. Are you concerned at all that Netflix doesn't have that exposure to pro sports?
0: I'm not necessarily concerned about it, but that would, that would seem like a, a layup for them to actually get into sports and the broadcasting across that with their subscription model they've got. They have incredible content, though, Frank. You and I both know that. All these different streaming services have their pros and their cons. But in some ways, I look at Netflix the way I looked at Apple back in the day when people were talking about the iPhone and everybody trying to compare to the iPhone and they're trying to figure out what's the best. Satisfaction. And what people like is when they want something, they get something, and they are very, very satisfied satisfied, obviously, with the Netflix model and the content and everything that they've got. They've got a huge uh, second half of the year in terms of content coming in terms of what they think is going to be really big for the company. So I look at it and I look at Disney and I think to myself, wow, Disney from a PE perspective is not that far off of where Netflix is right now. Both of them have great uh, cash flow generation and everything else. But I actually think right now from from here to the end of the year, I think Netflix can definitely outperform Disney. Disney. Jim, you got broadband out there on the farm. You, got, you get Netflix out there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we we got to use the satellite, there, Frank. We really
3: got to use satellite. Um, hey, you know, here's listen. I want to add my thoughts here. Uh, Netflix is fine, but you got to ask yourself in this broad landscape of the streaming wars, where is the value? And I'm going to submit to you that Netflix is not the top of the value chain. Disney, which we're talking about a lot you know, has not only the streaming, but it has the theme parks, it has the studios. So that's a multi-piston engine, particularly where the theme parks are coming back right now. I see value in those shares at this price that I don't see in Netflix. Frank, let me make one other point. You brought up Paramount+. Plus. I own Viacom, and I will tell you that Viacom is not getting the respect it deserves. They have about 40 million uh, uh, paying subscribers to their streaming services, including Paramount+. Plus. They have another 60 million in Pluto TV. And those numbers are large enough that the company should be getting a lot more respect than it is. And if it doesn't get that respect, that's why you're seeing chatter this week about Comcast, mulling over making a pass at them making an acquisition there if not comcast somebody else will so viacom is the sort of name i see much more value than netflix
1: yeah viacom getting a lot of respect today up almost 2% um kevin i'm going to turn things over to you uh netflix shares down about 2% for the year but up about 5% over the last month is it still a buying opportunity
4: yeah, I think if you're going to play the streaming in the media space, you have to have an allocation to, to to Netflix, there's no question. But I love the Spielberg announcement. It shows that, you know, the, the, the big legacy names are now going there to produce their blockbusters. I mean, it's become the platform for talented producers. When people shop deals, they want to go to Netflix first. And so you know that that gives them for the long term great content a comment I wanna make about Disney which I think is intriguing you know Disney for almost a year and a half traded its streaming business at the multiple its legacy business had so kinda of 20-ish and slowly over the last 12 months its done a shift it's almost like a thermal climb change people are willing to trade the legacy business that's streaming multiples now so they must feel that that content that old legacy content is now going to be fed on a streaming platform. And I think you have to give credit to whom for that? Iger. He was the architect of all this. Didn't really get all the credit for it to make this stock practically double after he's gone. But he was the guy that set all this up and he took the big bet. He thought one day they'd flip that PE and they'd get to call Mickey Mouse Land or Disneyland, whatever you want to call it. You're going to pay a streaming multiple for that. And that's just a theme park. I think it's sheer genius kevin you call it mickey mouse
1: land up in canada <laughs> never heard of that all right now to the banks those stocks are hired today the fed out with the results of its annual stress test announcing that all 23 institutions could easily withstand a severe recession brenda you own jp morgan what's your take
2: I think this is just one more positive in terms of, um, you know, confirmation that the banks are healthy, uh, but I do think that a, re- a return to share buybacks should be, uh, you know, fairly powerful for the, for the group in terms of support. Um, we've seen a lot of money flowing into the group um, over the last six to nine months, but I think with the, you know, with uh, share buybacks coming back, that should even further um, support the, the whole group.
1: So, Pete, you bought some calls into J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. And speaking of Wells Fargo, a really bullish note from Wells Fargo today saying that uh, they expect a flurry of press releases on Monday announcing buybacks and dividend increases. And they say that the Fed stress test can be summed up by three words, confirmation, resiliency and flexibility. Do you agree?
0: Yes, absolutely. And I look at Wells Fargo. Look at the stock performance for the year. If you go back all the way to November and you look at all these financials, they really started to take off, Frank, right after the election for the most part. And they've been ripping to the upside ever since. I do think there are some names that are getting a little bit more pricey than some of the others. I look at JP Morgan in terms of its price to book value. I know it's the premier bank. I know everybody absolutely loves it. Jamie Dimon's done an unbelievable job. But I think there are less expensive plays out there as well. I think Wells Fargo would be one of those. I think Capital One would be another one of those names. But there are multiple other layers within that I think the financials really do still have room to run to the upside. I've liked these for a long period of time. I think there are are specific names that I'd rather just be in options because I think they are tapping towards the higher end. And uh, there are other names where I own the stock and the options. So I think there's a lot of different ways that somebody could play it. But I don't think this is it for the financials. I think today just gives one more reason to want to be long as many financials as you can find. Mr. Wonderful, a uh, record year for buybacks for S&P 500 companies after this stress test. Banks
1: expected to increase their buybacks. Is that an encouraging sign for you?
4: I'm not as big a fan of buybacks as dividend increases, and I'll tell you why. Number one, a company can announce a buyback and then never execute it. Number two, buybacks, you know, can be on and off as, as management decides, and it's a form of financial engineering. But when you increase a dividend, you don't get to take that back you got to keep paying it out. You have to be myopically focused on execution to make sure you maintain the margins to distribute the profits. Now, I understand the tax reasoning, but I'd much prefer that a manager, anybody, say to me, look, I'm going to increase my dividend 5% this quarter because that's locked and loaded forever. And I like that a lot more than, hey, everybody, I'm going to buy back my stock. And you'll, you'll see on these announcements of buybacks, you're not going to get big moves in the stock. As far as the financials are concerned, I think the next leg up is based on interest rates rising on the 10-year. You get that, and then you start to see these things move to the next
1: level. But buybacks, schmybacks, I don't love them. All right. <laughs> Farmer Jim, we're going to get to you on the other side of the break. Coming up, Pete's latest trades and unusual activity. Halftime report, back in two minutes. Stay with us. All right, time now for unusual activity. Pete, what are you seeing down there at the beach?
0: Yeah, i tell you, Frank, it's awesome. I'm seeing Las Vegas Sands. It's hit almost every single day this week. And as a matter of fact, it hit just yesterday where they were buying the July 52 calls. Today, they're pretty aggressively positioning to buy the July 57 calls, about 20,000 of those calls. Stock was trading right around where it is right now, right around 52 and a quarter. And oh, by the way, they just decided to buy even more of the September 55 calls today. So a lot of activity flowing into Las Vegas Sands as we speak. Virgin Galactic is my second one. Now, this is a stock that's absolutely on fire today. We all know the story. It's up about 30% or something close to that right now. But they continue to come after different options. The July 2nd expiring 55 strike calls... Those were getting bought, Frank, 10,000 of those were being bought. Started at about 2 dollars 5 got all the way up a little over $6 for these calls. Looking for that stock to make another break to the upside over the next week or so. And then now I've got one last one, it's just an update. But Macy's, we just did this one on June 17th. We had a lot of buyers, the stock was trading at about eighteen and a half at the time. Today it eclipsed and got up through those 20 levels. We had those August 21 calls that were getting bought that day. They are starting to move pretty nicely to the upside along with the stock, as made this move, but those options go all the way out to August, so I'm still hanging on to them.
1: Pete, what kind of options do you got? you going to jump in that ocean? What
0: are you, what are you doing today? You... <laughs> my first option would be, yes, I already got my swim trunks on and I'm ready to go in there, Frank. It's a beautiful day down here.
1: Yeah, business up top, party down below. I like that. Alright, stay with us. Ask <laughs> Halftime right. is next. Sending your questions by video, we'll play it on air. You can also email us at askhalftime at CNBC.com. We're right back after this. All right, the investment committee is answering your questions. First off, to Brenda Jake in Connecticut, is asking I bought PayPal in early 2021 and it hasn't really performed well. Should I hold or move on to another name? Brenda?
2: Yeah, I'll say that this is a high expectation stock, um, but so far, um, really against tough comparisons from last year, the company really has grown very impressively. So I think as long as that continues, the stock should continue to work. I mean, if we look back at, at recent trends, you know, the company continues to sign up merchants globally. They have announced a price increase to their U.S. merchants, which they should definitely be able to pass along. And importantly, they're just beating margin expectations, they beat margin expectations by 200 basis points last quarter, which is really impressive. So as long as those impressive results continue, I think the stock should continue to
1: work. Yeah. PayPal also outperforming the market and its rival square up 23 percent year to date versus uh, 10 percent for square. So interesting. All right. Next to Pete Hilda in Studio City has a question about Celsius holdings. Do you think they can go higher from here, even though they have run up so much?
0: I think they can, Frank. As a matter of fact, they were higher from, from where they are now, or not too long ago. There was actually an $80 stock. It pulled back significantly. They've done a lot of different things. This is a growth company, though, and I don't want, I, I, I say that because if people have to understand. They are spending to grow, and that's the process they're within. They're making money, but they're spending to grow. They're making a a, a lot of different headway along the way as well in terms of market share. They're taking it away from Bang and others, and I think this is a great place to be. I think this is a stock that has a great balance sheet that can go a lot higher, but you've got to be patient. There's going to be a lot of big moves up and big moves down, but I think generally the move is higher. All right, Jim, Michael in Chicago says, I'm looking to invest in dividend stocks,
1: which are the safest with the best yields.
3: Well, I think uh, that when you're looking at yields, you want to make sure you don't reach too far. Kevin O'Leary made a great comment about dividends and their sustainability. But sometimes you get into a situation with an AT&T where the dividend is too high and they have to cut it. Now, that's a very specific case. But my major point here is look for sustainable dividends. And right now, you can look in industrials.
1: You can look in energy and materials for sustainable, great dividends. All right, Mr. Wonderful. Connor in San Francisco says or is asking, when is Alibaba finally (laughs) going to be a buy again? It's
4: a buy right now. Let me explain my thinking on this one. If you own Amazon and you saw the benefit that Amazon created for the economy and for itself during the pandemic, the exact same thing was going on in Asia with Alibaba. And the Jack Ma, uh, you want to call that a taint or an issue, that has now dissipated from the story. You don't have to worry about that anymore. The Chinese regulator has had its ways with, with Alibaba, and it's over. And now it just continues to execute. I think if you're going to own Amazon, equal weighting in Alibaba, and then you've got the global perspective of direct-to-consumer play. They are both behemoths, and they are both going to flourish in the next couple of years.
1: All right, Brenda. turning back to you, Annie in Toronto says, I bought Monalese about a year ago. Should I hold, sell, or buy more?
2: Yeah, we really like Mondelez and think this this company is often overlooked, has a great organic growth rate, really one of the best within consumer staples. They really have a great strategy of going into mostly emerging markets, in many cases, buying local brands that are really relevant in those markets and then building their business in that way. So we continue to really like the stock. Um, I think it's you know reasonably valued versus the group. Um, and so if you're looking to put money to work within consumer staples, we think this is a good place to put it.
1: All right, another question from oh. up north. up. Sorry? Oh, I thought someone was trying to jump in. All right, another question from Toronto, this time from Michelle. It's for Pete. No one talks about IBM anymore, and yet they've made progress this year. Thoughts on on if this is a buy?
0: Yeah, and a lot of people hate this stock for all the wrong reasons. I think this is a great stock. Look at what it's done year to date, Frank, in, in terms of where we started the year, where it is right now. Take a look at the dividend yield. Kevin talks about dividend yields. Look at those dividend yields. And when you look at the free cash flow that this company's got, I just like the management piece. I know it's taken a little bit of time, but the Red Hat acquisition and the Whitehurst and all the rest, I think this is a stock that will continue to go higher. I love them. I think they, uh, there are some possibilities for why they are overlooked oftentimes because people look at them as the old ibm this i think is the new ibm and i think this stock has a lot of room to the upside all right um cruising it's back we're live from florida for the first post pandemic
1: sale it might even have a mickey mouse land cruise all right halftime returns in just two minutes All right, welcome back to halftime. Cruise ships are finally returning to U.S. ports. Royal Caribbean Celebrity Edge will be the first cruise line to sail from an American port in more than 15 months. Our Seema Modi is live in Fort Lauderdale with the very latest. Hey, Seema.
7: Frank, this is one of the most popular spots on board, the Celebrity Edge, the solarium. This is a covered, heated pool, adults only. The ship will run at a lower capacity of around 36 percent to allow passengers to social distance and spread out. To get back to 100 percent, well, industry analysts say that will take about a year. In the meantime, the cruise lines have been very active in the debt and equity market. Royal alone has raised about $12 billion in total since COVID began. And in my exclusive interview with Richard Feyn earlier today, he said he won't rule out the possibility of going back to the debt market.
2: We've been very successful in, in raising money during this period. And you've seen as people see the end is now within sight and the starting up, there's been a very steady decline the cost of our doing that.
7: Talking about cost of capital, back in May, Royal raised a couple billion dollars at an interest rate of 11.2%. Fast forward to now, just this week, a new financing option as low as 4.2%. So that just shows you how the market's perception around cruising has changed. They're really betting on this big comeback as the CDC gives the green line to more ships less than 24 hours. This ship will sail uh, fully vaccinated for crew. Nearly all passengers will be vaccinated with the exception of two adults and about 24 kids. But this is a big moment for Wall Street, Frank. Of course, if you look at the stocks, Royal Caribbean, Carnival and Norwegian, they have all rallied off the lows hit in, uh, during the pandemic. Back to you.
1: Wow, really beautiful pool there and a really encouraging sign for that industry and its workers. Seema Modi, thank you so much.
7: Better, better shot than Pete Majerian.
1: Tide. Tide. We're going to call it Tide. All right, Seema, thank you very much. Let's trade it. Brenda, we're going to kick things off with you. You own Booking Holdings. Um, Seeing Cruises return, obviously an encouraging sign, but do you think it's a sustainable gain for that company and others like it?
2: Yeah, and my personal view is that it's gonna take a while for the cruise industry to really fully recover. That's why we prefer something like a booking holdings where you really benefit from a recovery in general within travel and dining related options. So you know, not only do you have exposure to some cruise lines and air airfare and others with booking, but you also have exposure to open table and people going back out to eat. So you really have a little bit more of a, a diversified experience uh, with booking holdings and that's our preference versus sticking with one particular industry, particularly the cruise industry, which I think is going to be a little more challenged for a while.
1: So, Pete, that uh, beach scenery you got behind, you getting a lot of attention. You also recently bought some Delta calls. (laughs) What's your take?
0: I did. Yeah, I did. You know, we've seen a lot more activity coming into the airlines industry. We're seeing some upside call buying across the board, multiple different airline names. And Delta, I thought, stood out the most for me because of what I have seen. And I can give you just My own personal experience has been every plane I've been on of late has been absolutely 100% capacity. So there are travelers coming back, both leisure and I think we're starting to see a little bit of business, Frank. So I think the airlines, you can take your pick, but I personally picked Delta. But I think JetBlue, I think United, I think any of these names right now, I think the opportunity is to the upside. So I continue to look at these various names that we see I'd rather be in the airlines than the cruise ships at this point in time, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that I won't get in the cruise ships if I see an opportunity there.
1: Jim, I heard you have a pool just like that out at the farm, but it's an outdoor pool. I heard it's amazing. Uh, on a serious note, speaking of Delta, related but not similar, um, the Delta variant, does that concern you at all when it comes to the cruise industry and the potential for that variant maybe stopping cruises altogether again?
3: Not yet, but I think all of us should be keeping an eye on it. It's a risk that's out there, but right now it's a low risk. Keep your eye on it. It's not something that's going to deter the reopening. And I think, Frank, what you're hearing from all of us regarding reopening is sort of pick your poison, right? Brenda likes uh, restaurant stocks. Uh, uh, Pete likes uh, casinos. I like airlines and aerospace. For anyone who likes cruise lines, yes, this is the reopening play. I happen to not like the actual business of cruise lines. Debt and intensive. There's always health care issues, not my cup of tea, but it is a reopening play. And if that's your poison and you pick it, God bless you, Kevin. You
4: know, it's, it's one thing I don't think we focus enough on in both airlines and in the cruise uh, sector is during the pandemic, they turned their balance sheets upside down. I don't care what airline you look at or any cruise line operator, they borrowed billions of dollars. So theoretically, on recovery, you're going to start with an upside-down balance sheet. And, and for me, that should be a 20% discount on the P.E. that they used to have. I, I hate debt, and I hate debt that's used to maintain operations when there's no revenue, which is basically what happened on the cruise lines. In addition to that, you're not getting paid enough for the risk you take. You know, when I hear that they're letting people on onto a cruise line, which is basically a, a big room... You know, where one person is not vaccinated and bingo, you're back in a total mess and you get shut down again. I hate that. I mean, I think everybody that gets on a cruise line should have to have a vax passport. I don't know why they're letting people on the don't because that's what's going to shut them down. And when that happens, you're going to lose, you know, these stocks have recovered 50 percent of their losses and you got tons of risk and a really lousy balance sheet. I'm so unexcited by that trade. So clearly not a buying
1: opportunity in your opinion.
4: No, it's not worth shorting either, but it, it, it's just really unexciting. When I think about boring and not worth buying, I say cruise lines. All right, there we go.
1: Final Trades, they're coming up on Halftime. Stay with us. <laughs> All right, time now for Final Trades. Ladies first. Brenda? Uh,
2: CBS. This is one of the few companies that was really helping facilitate value-based care And I think they're going to be a real beneficiary of a much easier comparison in the cold and flu season space this year. Over to you.
0: Seeing a lot of activity in Uber. I think Uber is going higher. I'm in the calls. Jim. Qualcomm looks like it's finally breaking out. Kevin, last word
4: just elevated Cindy Holden, a spectacular executive to top management there. she's worked from 20 years ago. Great executional skills and a fantastic infrastructure play.
1: That's it for Halftime. The Exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
6: You seek the key.